Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Guardian. Welcome to Politics Weekly. I'm Jessica Elgott, Chief Political Correspondent for The Guardian. Nobody wants Afghanistan once again to be a a breeding ground for for terror. And uh, we don't think that it's in the interests of of the people of Afghanistan that it should lapse back into that that state, that pre-2001 state. At the weekend, Boris Johnson and Dominic Raab cut their holiday short to come back and deal with the situation in Afghanistan. Parliament was recalled a couple of weeks early so MPs could discuss how to address the complete Taliban takeover, which seems to have caught many in government by surprise. So now what? As the Defence Secretary Ben Wallace continues to lay blame at the feet of the Americans, what does this moment mean for the future of US-UK ties? And where does all of that leave the Afghan people? There's no better person to get the latest from than my colleague Dan Saber, The Guardian's defence and security editor. Dan, as briefly as you can, can you just summarise what has happened in Afghanistan over the last two to three weeks? You know, what we've seen is once the Americans announced that they were going to pull out what the, the remaining combat troops, which is actually only 2,500 combat troops they had in the country, NATO agreed to pull out its troop trainers, is, is, is the most extraordinary high-speed collapse of the uh, of the Kabul government. We start with breaking news now. Taliban fighters have reached the Afghan capital, Kabul. Some reports say... They and over the last two or, two or three weeks, well, the Taliban have been gradually positioning themselves in the previous months, taking up positions, more and more positions in the countryside. But as the US forces are withdrawn, over the last really week or so, a string of provincial capitals, cities have fallen, and then dramatically over the weekend, Kabul, a city of over 4 million people, fell really without a shot being fired as the Taliban simply marched in and, and took the presidential palace. Let's go back a bit from, from you know, the present day. Before you know, there was any mention of any kind of negotiations with the Taliban before the troops came out, what was the British government's general approach to Afghanistan? How has it, how has it changed in the last 18 years? And I, I suppose more, more specifically, what's it been in the last five years well combat operations for the for the british ended in afghanistan in 2014 so there was a sort of long phase where 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 the uk was as eager as it could be for a country of its size to be engaged in the war and take the fight to to the taliban and in, in, in places like Helmand. that though stopped in 2014 and the appetite for a, that kind of long conflict and and with it the loss of british lives over 450 British lives. You know, the appetite for that was not there amongst the political class or indeed the general public. So Britain's role has been more recently about 
troop training, about stabilization, in effect about peacekeeping, you know, a long-term, a long-term deployment, most recently about sort of 700 troops, as part of a much wider NATO mission of about 7,500 troops, you know, a, a long-term stabilization contribution, and one that Britain had no great interest in ending, uh, to be honest. There hasn't been a moment like this. We've had very successful negotiations. We think they'll be successful in the end. The Doha Agreement was originally orchestrated by Joe Biden's predecessor, Donald Trump. What was the British government's response to that peace deal at the start of 2020? I mean, in the end, the problem for the British was that they didn't like, they they never liked any of this, but they look upon it with some impotence because the reality of the situation is that the when it comes to Afghanistan, America calls the shots. Uh, uh, they have the largest, and most capable military. And, and if they have the will to stay in the country, then the UK will stay in the country. But if they don't have the will to stay in the country, uh, the reality of the situation uh, is that the UK can't afford to stay and other NATO allies don't have the will, will to do so either. So, yeah, what Donald Trump did was he negotiated a peace deal with the Taliban, which included a, a US exit. And the British weren't very keen on it, but they had little choice but to go along with it, other than to perhaps hope secretly that Donald Trump might not be re-elected and that a new president might come in and there might be a different outcome. And that was going to be my next question. Do you, do you think that the British government were expecting Joe Biden to throw out the deal when he came to office? I think this is a very interesting point because, you know, Biden has been more of a sort of sceptic about Afghanistan than perhaps had been properly appreciated. And that sort of long, you know, dates back to his time as vice president. But the long drift of US policy has been to kind of go sort of for less and less engagement in the world. And that's where American public opinion is too. And so, yeah, it it, it might have been a surprise that Joe Biden sort of followed almost exactly in the tram lines that Donald Trump had set out. But if you've been looking at American public opinion, you would see that, that the withdrawal was always on the cards. And I think if, if Britain wants to say they were surprised by US policy, then that would be a mistake, really. That, 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 would, be a, that would be a rewriting of history, I think. Do you know if there was any serious attempt to try and get the Americans to change course? Would Boris Johnson have tried to, to reach out to Joe Biden to talk about it, Dominic Raab to, to, to reach out to Blinken? Is, has there been serious attempts or is it just the writings on the wall? I don't detect that they thought they could change the Americans' minds if their minds were made up. The appetite wasn't within the British government. You know, one of the options open to the to, to the British would have been to sort of publicly uh, lobby the Americans or to even publicly criticise what they thought was an impending by, by Joe Biden decision. Boris Johnson didn't do that and, and clearly didn't want to do that. Why? There's sort of just so many broader foreign policy objectives. You know, right now, Downing Street really want really want America's friendship. After Brexit, Britain badly needs allies. It doesn't want to fall out with important countries like the US, with whom it's pursuing a trade deal on, on other issues. So there's no sign that the will, will was there. There was grumbling in private, but that really doesn't amount to very much. I hope that no one will leap to the false conclusion that the withdrawal of our forces somehow means the end of Britain's commitment to Afghanistan. In July, that Johnson confirmed to MPs that Britain would also take its remaining forces out of Afghanistan. And how has that process gone? Obviously, we've had to send send a trickle more troops in to deal with the unfolding crisis now. But but how has it? How many British soldiers or personnel have actually actually left during that period? It's hard to describe. It's anything other than sort of catastrophic and embarrassing for the UK, for the US, for the US above all, and indeed the West generally. I mean, Britain had about 700 troops, mainly in sort of troop training roles uh, at the time that the 
uh, Joe Biden formally made the withdrawal announcement in the in 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 the spring, and then uh, there was this. Although formally the idea was to withdraw U.S. and uh, other NATO troops by 9/11, the reality was they wanted everybody out by the fourth of July. What happened a few days after that was that Boris Johnson came to Parliament and said almost all the troops had left, and the withdrawal was sort of you know all but substantially substantially complete and. Of course, what actually has happened is is that as as a result of that, uh, the 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 withdrawal of troops that is that created this massive opportunity for the Taliban that we've talked about, and they ended up with them literally walking in and taking control of city after city, and 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 that in turn has led to not a sort of an orderly um, retreat of British personnel from the embassy, Britons from around the country, but also the many many Afghans who have helped the Britons and have been given the right to kind of. Uh, reside in the UK. There's been absolute chaos and panic, and and people have fled to the airport in an attempt to attempt to escape. And at the same time, countries like Britain have been forced to pour in troops again. Uh, suddenly, the number was 600. Uh, now it looks like it's 900 um, troops and other military personnel into trying to secure the airbase alongside 6,000 Americans in a desperate attempt to fly, to evacuate, to airlift people out over. We don't quite know how long, but you know the word is the next couple of weeks until I don't know until the West gives up and says that's enough people we can airlift and rescue. And I suppose I guess what we're going to talk about for the rest of the program is how how could this how these particularly chaotic scenes be allowed to have, have happened? I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a 20-year question, but some of the most vocal critics and some of the those who were predicting this from the word go or have been some very experienced ex-military, ex-security service conservatives, some MPs, some not, people like Tobias Elwood, people like Tom Tugendhat, people like Rory Stewart, talking about how predictable this was, and yet it didn't seem to be something that that the UK government predicted. And is that a failure of intelligence? Is it, um, you know, they just don't really care enough to engage in it? Why Why has it been? I mean, you're absolutely right. So you know, when Boris Johnson comes to the Commons on the 8th of July, he's absolutely confident, you know, there's no military path to victory for the Taliban is one of the things he tells MPs. Uh, of course there remain terrorist threats uh, from Afghanistan. Uh, but the answer uh, is to have a, a peaceful and a negotiated Solution, and that is what our diplomats will continue. He, he, he goes on, I do not believe that the Taliban are guaranteed the kind of victory we sometimes read about. Very similar language, actually, to, to used by Joe Biden, all on, the, all, all, all on the same day, the 8th of July, the Taliban takeover, Biden said, was not inevitable. So this was a kind of similar thinking on, in, in, in the US and the UK. You know, on the one hand, there is clear evidence that some of the military chiefs for example, advising Johnson, for example, so General Nick Carter, head of the armed forces, chief of the defence staff, was, was very much saying, you know, and someone who's been very involved in Afghanistan over the last 20 years very, and very committed to a kind of to, to the liberal future of the country, which has now been sort of ripped away with the Taliban takeover. Carter again has been said, was saying publicly several times on that day and afterwards, you know, it's very unlikely the Taliban would ever get to full authority if it chose to fight over the whole of Afghanistan, he said. And they were offering scenario after scenario as to why the Kabul government might might hold up. You know, the reality, of course, we know was embarrassingly different. So when you look at what someone like Nick Carter says, you have to say, 
you've got it wrong, haven't you, that this military advice is very poor. I think there are no shortage of people, you mentioned some politicians, but also military analysts who said, look, the, the reality always was that the Afghan army, despite sort of talk of large numbers and hundreds of thousands, all the rest of it, uh, there were always problems with corruption, with pay, with equipment, and frankly, with legitimacy, because you can't say the Taliban don't have a constituency in Afghanistan. So these problems were always there, but were, I think, not only they were to some extent downplayed, but I think people also just couldn't quite imagine that a collapse would happen so fast. And because perhaps they were so closely involved in Afghanistan or following it over the last 20 years, they just sort of set that policy aside. Yeah, obviously, there's there's been some criticism as, of Boris Johnson. He started his holiday on Saturday hours before Kabul was about to fall and decided to come back the following day. But the main criticism seems to be reserved for Dominic Raab, the foreign secretary, who has been on holiday during this past week. What was Dominic Raab's thinking? Again, is he, is he, you know, just is, is that same sort of blinkeredness that, that you mentioned? Is it a, a failure of in- intelligence? He's on the radio this, you know, on Tuesday morning claiming that, that he, he didn't know, essentially, that this was about to happen. You know, what this crisis has shown ha- has been a bit of a split, hasn't it? So you've got, on the one hand, Ben Wallace, the minister has been, on, on you know on the airwaves throughout and has clearly been you know on duty you know on on duty for for government and has done repeated media rounds. He's been critical in public of the U.S. decision to withdraw, and in private, although I don't think he was very happy about these things coming out. But in private, you, you know Ben Morris is really unhappy with the with, with Rob and the Foreign Office because. You know the MOD are feeling that the diplomats were uh, the embassy staff were kind of sort of on the first flight out, and they had an awful lot of people visa applications to process, consular assistance to provide, and and it was soldiers and 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 and, and another uh, MOD personnel coming in and having to take on that work. I mean, as for Rob going on holiday, it's August, and of course politicians are allowed to go on holiday, but it just just feels like there wasn't quite the sort of. The touch there. Uh, surely you'd maybe rush back on Thursday or Friday when you saw it was going going really bad. You know, this is a major. You know, this is you know perhaps the you know the biggest foreign policy development crisis of the of, of the year, and yet you know people are, are are willing to go on holiday or stay on stay on holiday. It shows that however much you're in touch remotely, in the end, everyone knows the rules of British politics, and if you if you come back, it shows you really really care about it. Prime Minister has now actually recalled Parliament. We're expecting that that debate to be, you know, a sort of statement from the Prime Minister and probably a lot of emotive language, but there's no substantial vote. There's no nothing that, that MPs can affect. What 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 can we expect to hear from that? My understanding, by the way, is it's going to be a, a, a general it's going to be a general debate rather than a statement. So the Prime Minister will open and Ben Wallace will close, and so there won't be the format of of, of, t- of the PM taking lots of questions from MPs. Although, of course, he can choose to take interventions. Uh, Labour were a bit grumpy about that kind of saying that um, that meant that, that Boris Johnson can you know choose how many questions to take, and then he can, in their words, bluster on. So, I think a certain amount of this, frankly, will be will be hand wringing. I think there are good questions though. There are MPs like Tobias Elwood, who's um, you mentioned earlier, chair of the defence. Committee Tobias has been pushing very hard for an inquiry, um, a Chilcot style inquiry to look over the 20 years. I mean, that would be a big, big undertaking. But if anything, the argument for a public inquiry is absolutely shot up because I think, if nothing else, there are some serious questions to ask about did British politicians really think 
that we could sort of slip out so easily and that the government of Ashraf Ghani would do its best and carry on for several years in some, you know, in some liberal nirvana. So I think that's going to be an important point. And I think there are other important issues that could be raised. I think there are important points being made about the immigration bill that's floating around, what will be the impact of some of the sort of, you know, the latest crackdown on immigration and asylum and how that would affect the possibility of Afghans coming to the UK. I think it will be looking hard at some of the speeches and some of the detail. But yeah, what can one do but, but sort of hope the evacuation succeeds and that's not really a matter for MPs. And... There is obviously a lot of pressure for Johnson to, to announce a kind of resettlement scheme for Afghan refugees. We're, we're told, you know, by Downing Street sources that it's coming. We may have it by the time this, this podcast goes out. The suggestion is it looks something like the Syrian resettlement scheme, which is about 20,000. There is public pressure for that now, isn't, isn't there, Dan? They, there was hesitancy over it over the weekend, some, some harsh language coming out of Home Office sources, but it seems like the, the wind is blowing in that direction. Yeah, and I think actually one of the things that's happened, um, I, I'm hearing some heartbreaking stories from, from MP, from backbench MPs, who say they're being, they're being contacted now by people, Brits, constituents, often people with a forces background, people who served in Afghanistan, okay, please, can you help my, you know, my, my, my buddy who is an interpreter, their, their life is now in danger because they, they, they help the Brits. There are a lot of people who help the British specifically whose lives are in danger and we have a moral obligation to help. Britain has to be, you know, generous and big hearted if it can be. I mean, having said that, that has got to be tempered against how many people can you get out of that airport? Any resettlement scheme also has to be sort of backed up by the ability to evacuate people or at least some kind of commitment to allow people to come to the UK in the longer term if such things possible if they're in if they've gone across the border to countries like Pakistan it's good to hear those noises and it's absolutely a time for the UK to be generous because this is a time of crisis um, so let's hope that follow let's hope that follows through that sounds quite encouraging and that other European countries in the US also do something similar I stand squarely behind my decision. After 20 years, I've learned the hard way that there was never a good time to withdraw U.S. forces. Coming towards the end of our chat, I just want to talk a little bit about, about Biden's speech, a real eye-opening speech where he kind of doubled down on a withdrawal and said essentially it, the, the scenes over the past few days have shown why the Americans need to leave, why why they can't continue to be involved. Um, some pretty stark and shocking language from him. It really sort of seems to, to draw a line over, you know, America is the world's policeman. And you're seeing some quite outspoken criticism of the, of the US president from Tory MPs. Do you think, how much do you think that language would have shocked, you know, people in Whitehall? There's no question this is an extraordinary moment, but I guess, look, you know, Joe Biden's a man who feels he's taken a decision and he, he feels he, he wants to double down on it. And there is another worldview, whether you agree with it or not, which is that why should American troops be stationed around the world? Why should America act, as you say, to be the world's policeman? In, you know, in the end, did invasions of countries like Iraq to any long term, you know, cause more harm than good, whatever one might have thought about Saddam Hussein. So, you know, are, are, are these exercises worthwhile? Is it not time to bring troops home? And that is a popular policy and opinion in the United States. And it was one of the many things that helped Donald Trump to victory in 2016. And following in those lines has, you know, helped Joe Biden, you know, in 2020 and, and, and will help maintain his popularity. I think and certainly until the events in the airport of, of, of the last two days, you know, the sight of people clinging to planes and all that, I think, 
I think it was certainly in the UK, there was much more hand-wringing about it and, and upset about what happened in Afghanistan than there was than there was in the United States. So there is good reasons why Joe Biden's doing this. And, you know, you might not like them, but you do have to understand and engage with them. And I think when people complain, well, OK, what's really going on here? You know, some of this actually about conservatives complaining about a Democratic president. I think there's a bit of that going on, too. Just as a last question, and it's a big one, over the last two weeks, and particularly over the last 48 hours, you've seen a lot of people question the entire point of the Afghan war. I mean, obviously, people have been questioning that for decades. Um, What will the British government take away from its role in in the so-called war on terror? Is there anything they can take from it? Well, some of that clearly rings rings hollow in this dispiriting moment. But I would say, well, look, in the first instance, we have to sort of cast your mind back to 2001, not just the emotional moment after the attack on the Twin Towers, but Afghanistan was where Osama bin Laden was based, where Al-Qaeda was based. This is a group trying to direct attack plots uh, against, you know, against the West. And through the invasion of Afghanistan, a lot of that territory was denied, that space to operate was denied to Al-Qaeda. What clearly happened since then was, well, the Taliban didn't go, you know, didn't go away, or they were sort of pushed to the margins, but there was a kind of ongoing insurgency and guerrilla war of varying degrees of intensity over the last 20 years. But there was, you know, some attempt at nation building, and that's why it's actually so, walking away is, is, is so dispiriting, perhaps, Dan, thanks ever so much for, for catching us up on what's been a you know, pretty disastrous two weeks, perhaps even two decades. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. For anyone wanting to know more about what's happening on the ground in Afghanistan, listen back to Tuesday's episode of Today in Focus, as Emma Graham Harrison describes what the Taliban takeover looks like. But that's all from me today. The producer was Danielle Stevens, and I'm Jessica Elgott. Please stay safe out there. And thanks as always for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.